For some, election years mean a massive onslaught of political ads and negativity. For others, it can mean an opportunity for change. No matter where you fall on the state of politics, we're all weighing how to approach this election year. You may be seeing animosity and echo chambers on social media, gridlock in Washington, and it's affecting both casual observers of politics as well as those who dedicate their professions to it. James Wigderson was one of the latter. He's a former editor of RightWisconsin.com, a conservative-leaning news site. Before that, he was a columnist for the Waukesha Freeman. Wigderson now writes a newsletter called Life Under Construction. It's a place to find Wigderson's thoughts and storytelling on all the nuances of life, because, as he writes, readers deserve more than a talking head with a partisan political agenda. He speaks with WUWM's Mayan Silver about his decision to expand his focus and his wishes for politics and our collective humanity. So, James, in a previous conversation, you told me, as someone who has long identified as a Republican, after January 6th, you felt like a sports writer who covers football and the team moves out on you. There's no one to root for. Can you talk about how you got to that place and what it feels like? So uh, how I got to that place was uh, I had been a conservative or and a Republican for most of my uh, adult life. I go back to being a college Republican at the same time that Scott Walker was a college Republican at Marquette and Robin Voss was a college Republican at UW-Whitewater. I was a college Republican at UW-Milwaukee, uh, give you an idea of how long this has been. So when Donald Trump came down that escalator in 2016 i was like whoa this is uh, or 2015 this is a this is a, a change in in the trend towards conservatism the paul ryan conservatism the william f buckley conservatism that i grew up with and and endorsed and by the time we got to the 2020 2021 all my fears had been fulfilled. I, I felt completely alienated from the movement that I had given so much to and supported for so long. And uh, suddenly when January 6th happened, you thought maybe for a moment that there'd be a course correction that the, the Republican Party would suddenly realize that, that Trumpism wasn't the future and then all of a sudden, one by one, they all came right back into the fold. And even uh, somebody like Congressman Mike Gallagher, who on January 6th was sitting there saying, you know, Donald Trump called this all off. Uh, when it came time to, to impeach Donald Trump, Mike Gallagher was nowhere to be found. And I realized that there were, there were no more Republicans that uh, I supported, and they no longer supported the ideas that I still believed in. My views haven't changed, but apparently the Republican Party has. Uh, I don't have a home in the Democratic Party. So, like I said, I'm kind of like the sports writer who suddenly discovers, hey, the uh, local team has now moved on me, and I have nobody to, <laughs> nobody to, to be the cheerleader for. Actually, thought of myself as as rather a sharp critic at times of my own side, but I, at least I had a side. So, of course, Mike Gallagher is the eighth district congressman in Wisconsin who has recently announced that he'd be stepping down or not seeking reelection. Had you been supportive of former President Donald Trump during his presidency, and if so, 
Can you talk about why that changed beyond January 6th? No, actually, uh, when Donald Trump ran for office in 2016, I was one of those that said I could never support Donald Trump. Uh, I recognized right away what a, what a change that he was presenting to the Republican Party. And uh, certainly there was no way that I could ever support him. Um, what I tried to do, I was the editor of Right Wisconsin, and therefore I was speaking to conservatives and I had a conservative audience. What I tried to do was steer a course of, if it happened in Wisconsin, then I would write about it. If it happened elsewhere, we wouldn't, we wouldn't worry about it. Um, that came to a crashing end during the 2020 election when it became clear that there was no escaping from the effects of Trumpism, even on the local statewide party or the locals. Um, the, the Republican Party of Waukesha changed, the Republican Party of Wisconsin changed, to all to accommodate the, the new Trumpist philosophy of power in itself is, is its own good. Well, you've written that your political beliefs, I mean, it includes being pro-life or anti-abortion access. You support school choice, smaller government, lower taxes. You believe that reducing crime with more police officers is a good thing and having stricter penalties for crimes. But you've also said that these policy battles can wait while we, quote, rid ourselves of demagogues who will not accept the results of democratic elections they do not like. What has this meant for you? Well, at times it's meant uh, finding myself on the outside of looking in on both sides. Um, as far as the policy battles, I mean, does it does it ultimately matter on one issue or another when it, ultimately if you elect somebody like a Donald Trump again and you sacrifice so much of, of democracy in the process that you lose your your influence, your ability to participate in the government, and that the government is now at the whims of, of a would-be author, authoritarian like Trump. Uh, do, does, it, does it really ultimately matter on uh, whether the tax rate is 25% or 26%? Does it really matter if we're, we're spending uh, 1.5% or one and a half times the 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 GDP, or does it matter if we're spending twice the GDP on an annual basis? I mean, those are the things that we we need to understand, and that we need to have an influence on our government. That's the whole purpose of of our constitution was that it was supposed to be representative of the of the people. And sometimes the people can be wrong, and we need to accept that, and we need to accept the election results that are that we don't like. I remember in 1992, for example, I wasn't thrilled that Bill Clinton was the next president of the United States, but I accepted it. I moved on because I knew that we'd have another chance in 1996, and then we'd have another chance in 2000. And in 2000, I'm sure a lot of Democrats weren't thrilled that George W. Bush won. But again, you you accept it. It's part of the democratic process. And right now we have a political party that is not willing to accept election results. And that is dangerous to the country in the long term. 
So one way you're coping with what you see as this sort of degradation of the Republican Party is by sounding the alarm, writing op-eds in, in newspapers and with CNN and things like that. But you're also turning to sort of all the different facets of life, thinking beyond politics with your blog, Life Under Construction. Can you tell us about that? Right. So what I'm doing is I'm writing about the other things that are important in your life, the, the things that should matter to you. Politics should not be the all-consuming passion of everybody that, that it has become. You cannot just run your life on whether or not somebody is in political office. Donald Trump being in office should not be the, the end all of your life. You have a family, you have a religion, you have uh, children that you have to take to school, you have things that you do for your, hopefully for fun outside of politics. Uh, I like to travel, for example, and I write about traveling quite a bit. I write about the dogs that I, I've raised. I've, I write about what it's like to send my, my two kids off into college. And soon I'm going to be an empty nester. My wife and I are going to be living on our own. And I want to write about that, what that experience is like, what it's like to have parents that got old and sick and what it was like to take care for a father who had Alzheimer's. Those are the things that are, were of such immediate concern that at times I had to step back from writing about politics. And I'm glad that I, I have now. You're tuned into Lake Effect. I'm Mayan Silver, speaking with James Wigderson, author of the twice-weekly newsletter, Life Under Construction. So, James, we've been talking about life under construction. What is, like, one of the pieces that you've written so far that you're most proud of in that collection? Oh, I would say uh, just recently, for example, uh, Charlie Sykes, who, who was a uh, local radio personality at WTMJ who went on to the bulwark and national fame as a commentator on the never Trump movement. I, I wrote a long piece on him and uh, his recent retirement and his influence on the never Trump movement. But I've also written on different television shows that I like. And I'm, I'm right now, actually, I'm going to be writing a piece about the grand tour, which is a TV series that's going to be coming to an end there they just aired their uh, penultimate episode and i'm looking forward to writing about that uh, these are the things that when you when you think about it uh, are more important than the day-to-day -day issues of whether or not uh, we we pass a tax cut for example in wisconsin as much as i'd like a tax cut for example uh, those aren't the things that are, are are the things that make me happy in the long term to write about. Well, you know, I've been thinking a lot about politics and the political climate, too, in this election year. I think a lot of us have. And I was listening to the podcast. It's called On Being recently. And something that one of their guests said really stood out. Uh, he's an author and philosopher named Alain de Botton. And he said that a functioning society requires love and politeness a capacity to, quote, enter imaginatively into the minds of people with whom you don't immediately agree. So I was wondering, is your writing with life under construction sort of like a way to bridge that gap of collective misunderstanding that seems to exist in this country, like an olive branch to all sorts of people in the complexities of our lives? 
Yeah, I, that's that's a good way of looking at it. I, I've been meditating a lot on the Sermon of the Mount and, and, and Jesus telling us all to to love each other, whether you're Christian or not. He said to not only to, to love our neighbors, but to love our enemies. And it's made me stop and think quite a bit about crossing that divide, just not having enemies, or at least having that dialogue with people that I wouldn't normally have a dialogue with to have that experience and to understand what's going on on the other side. I thought that I've always done that as an adult, but the last couple of years have really forced me to think about, am I really uh, looking at the other side and, and seeing what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they're experiencing? We aren't in the other person's shoes, but we should at least try to see what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. And have you found that in that in a way you're choosing humanity over politics? Oh, definitely. Uh, I'm choosing humanity over politics. The fact that uh, we're all individual people, that we all have individual goals, that that we're not all monsters, that we that we aren't the worst things that we uh, think of each other. And part part of the thing that I've always said is is that when you think the absolute worst about the other person. It justifies everything that you do that's awful, too. And so what we need to do is to start thinking of each other as individual human beings and recognizing that, that what, we're, what we're facing, that person is, is got goals and dreams and ambitions, and they may be different than ours, and they may be in conflict with ours, but that's the whole point of what politics should be about is the peaceful resolution of those conflicts. And instead, we've, we've lined up in, in tribalism of reds and blues, and power in itself has become its own good. And that's a frightening thing. When we stop thinking of each other as individuals and we just see them as that other thing, then that's, like I said, it justifies every nasty thing that you can do to defeat that other thing. One of the sort of like least controversial and most universally loved aspects of life is dogs. And uh, you are the proud owner of four rescue dogs, if I'm not mistaken. And one of them actually passed away recently at the age of nine. His name was Charlie Chaplin Wigderson, a Siberian Husky Border Collie mix who you call a complete neurotic mess for most of his life. And we loved him for it. Can you tell us about him? So, uh, Charlie was, uh, unique. He was, uh, we adopted him as a puppy. He, he was, uh, um, the result of a border collie and Siberian Husky getting together, uh, quite accidentally. The Siberian Husky apparently was a stray, um, a Siberian Husky rescue found her when she was pregnant, brought her in and, uh, there was a litter of puppies and they named them all after uh, the Peanuts characters, which is how he became Charlie. He was supposed to be Charlie Brown. Uh, when I, when we picked him out and brought him home, I took one look at his black and white coat and I was like, it's more Charlie Chaplin than Charlie Brown. Um, plus uh, with a radio personality named Charlie in, in Milwaukee, I didn't want anybody thinking that I had named him after, after Charlie Sykes. 
Um, <laughs> I run into that problem all the time. We had a dog named Larry. We had a mayor named Larry Nelson. And the, you know, I sit there and go, can I try to escape this problem? Um, so we raised Charlie. And, and Charlie, uh, in his own way, was a nut. He, he literally thought that a leash was was his uh was an insult to him and he would immediately start howling like a lunatic when you would put a leash on him that he was being tortured and strangled uh, he put a leash on any of our other dogs they immediately go oh good we're going someplace uh, not charlie uh, you put him in the car he'd start drooling and having a panic attack in the back seat uh we our dog groomer had to make sure that there were no other dogs that had appointments that day when we had to take him in because uh, he was so disruptive to, the, to her operation that all the other dogs would be a, a mess by the time he was done. Um, just taking him downtown to the groomer, his howling would echo off the buildings in Waukesha. Um, there were certain stairs in my house he would not walk past. Because for whatever reason, those stairs were were things he didn't want to walk past for some reason, um, as if they were haunted. We put a, a giant heater outside, like you see at a typical restaurant. It's about six foot tall, and uh, for our patio outside, and he would not go near it. He would not even go outside for two days. He would just <laughs> stop at the door and it was like, "What's that?" And then he, when he finally did go out, he hugged the side of our house to go past it. Um, just a neurotic mess. And uh, didn't like other dogs. He would, he would always give us this look like, why is there another dog in this house? I mean, he was not fond of most people, though. He would eventually, he loved children, though. It was really odd. He loved small children. He, he thought that they were just neat, and probably because he was looking at them eye to eye. But, you know, men would walk into this house, and he, he, he'd sit there and try to decide whether or not to like them. He'd spend half of his day hiding underneath our bed because it was quiet under there and it was dark. I'm, I'm not looking forward to finding all the treasures that are currently underneath my bed. But he was he was extremely intelligent, too. For all, all of his mental issues uh he would do things like he would trick the other dogs into wanting to run outside and then he'd go back and steal their bones it was it was just hilarious uh he would figure out ways to to uh steal food items like one year we have a tradition on halloween we tend to order pizza and one year he managed to eat a half of a marty's pizza just because we weren't watching him for about 10 seconds and it was gone. Um, just at, at times he was the devil and at times I've got marks on my TV set because he could actually see things on the TV. The other dogs would ignore the TV. And when Charlie saw an animal, he'd run across the room and thump the TV set. So now I have three permanent sons, whatever movie I'm watching. It's, it's like something out of Star Wars. Wow. You know, hearing you talk about him, it's really clear that he's, you know, touched your life and he's really a presence in your life. Are you going to convey that in life under construction? 
I did in the in the newsletter that appeared on Thursday. And I'm sure going forward, uh, I'll be telling other stories about other dogs that we've rescued, and I'll, I'll be revisiting Charlie. We've got a ton of stories, and uh, we'll be revisiting Charlie for years to come. So how does that type of writing, you know, how does it sort of inspire you to kind of like think beyond the binary about people and to help you deal with this crazy election year and everything that's happening in Wisconsin? So uh, I posted on social media about Charlie and Randy Bryce, who ran for Congress in the first congressional district, I've written terrible things about it, Randy Bryce. Is things that if you go back, uh, you know, I I followed his campaign the whole bit when he ran. It, Randy Bryce even reached out and said, you know, I'm sorry to hear about Charlie. That's one of those things that we all universally have is this love of these pets that we have, and regardless of of where you are in your in your politics. You have these common experiences in your life. I'm sure that if, that if I wrote again tomorrow about uh, my father, for example, having Alzheimer's, I would have Democrats and Republicans commenting on the shared experience. And the more that we, we share those experiences, the more we look at each other as, as human beings rather than these awful people that once criticized us or once was, once was a candidate for office. Uh, the more that we'll we'll see each other as as human beings and maybe not be so terrible to each other. And where's your optimism for Wisconsin and for this country in terms of our ability to to accomplish that, really? So I'm mixed. Uh, as far as my optimism and pessimism goes, my my wife will tell you the lovely Doreen will tell you that uh, I'm quite a pessimist. Um. I am too much of a student of history to not be a pessimist about things. I, I understand how the Roman Republic fell, uh, how politics crashed in France so many times and, and French republics fell, and the spirit of Vichy that has, has amazingly just washed over the Republican Party. It, it's hard not to be a pessimist. On the other hand... I'm still an optimist because this is still America. Excuse me. <laughs> still a little choked up about talking about Charlie. Um, this is still America. I'm I'm still an optimist, and I I I believe that we have we have a way of correcting when we when we need to. We've gone through periods like this before. Woodrow Wilson used to throw his opponents in jail during World War One, and at the end of World War One, with the Palmer raids, uh, we've gone through periods where uh, we've been really divided, and we've, and yet we've still managed to sort things out, like we did in 1876, like we did in 2000. Being a democracy gives us that opportunity to to work things out democratically rather than the way other countries have by just falling apart and having riots in the street and the bloodshed and the violence and, and political chaos that other countries have descended into, we have a way of sorting out who we are and what our direction for the future is. 
And I believe that we can still do that. Well, I hope you're right, uh, James, and um, many condolences about Charlie, and thank you so much for sharing this and your work with Life Under Construction. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on. James Wigderson is a former editor of WriteWisconsin.com and former columnist for the Waukesha Freeman. He now writes a newsletter called Life Under Construction. He spoke with WUWM's Mayon Silver. What are you thinking and feeling ahead of the November presidential election? You can have a say in our 2024 election coverage by filling out our election survey. You can find a link to that at wuwm.com. What you tell us will help inform the stories you hear on Lake Effect and WUWM. <laughs>